can't believe that you haven't seen it Love it so much you really gotta stream it Let me tell you every line right now I can quote the whole thing since I was 12 Maybe your mom told you no She said she wouldn't give you any money to go And that's why Movies we missed Butterfly in the sky Brandon's cool Jane is fine Take a look, not in a book, it's movies we missed. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Movies We Missed. I am your host, Brandon Greenhouse, and my lovely co-host, Jane Lisa Hammer, is coming at you live and in color. She's wearing a a mauve-colored hoodie, you know, giving the kids a little something for their nerves, I guess. Good to see you today, Jane. Before we get into it, I do want to address a lot of the fan mail that I've been getting. Um, Mm. People asking, where are you? People saying... I saw you at, like, you know, a boutique. I saw you walking out of Hermes with a couple of bags. I'd love for a place to, like, talk to you about your purchases and about your upwardly, you know, mobile lifestyle in general. Um, And I think that I've created a a way for us to engage fan Mm. and Mm -hmm. um, host. Uh, So um, you can find us on Instagram. And on mm. Facebook at Movies We Missed. And you can also find us over on Twitter. Twitter um, at, I think we we just won. We just won another award, didn't we? From mm-hmm. the... Yeah. A Tweety, as they call it. It was it was a Tweet Tweet. Mm-hmm. We won a little Tweet 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 um, for our amazing um, coverage over mm-hmm. on our um, Twitter account. And that's mm-hmm. at MWM Chat. Jane Mans that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... She's been she's been doing a great job. Um, we're actually, I mean, as you've said, it's award winning. <laughs> so. It's award winning, and mm-hmm. um, we have more followers than uh, Queen B, Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how mm-hmm. it happened, but um, you know, it's really fun to watch it happen. If you want to join the hundreds of millions of people that are engaging in conversations with us mm-hmm. every day, Jane's still mapping out that conspiracy theory around um, mm-hmm. her godfather, who we all know is um, convicted killer Robert Durst, and um, <laughs> she knows is close and personal. Um, god. Father Bobby, as she calls him. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it's Bobby. great. And so here we go. Uh, and it was nice to hear were you. Jane let out a little bit of a giggle, probably, I'm assuming, at the expense of um, the victims of Mr. Durst. Um, <laughs> okay, you need, you have been going for 10 minutes. There are so many things that I need to respond to that you have said during this interview. Whoa, okay, the claws okay. are out. Let me make sure, um, let me just start, let me go through the bank and see where we're at. First of all, incredible riff on your opening um, with the Thank you. theme song. Was that off the cuff or? I, I came up with it literally as I was adjusting my mic right before we started. So like seconds mm-hmm. ago. So consider it off the cuff because. Okay, yeah. You that know, was honest It's enough. so close to improv, it's improv. You know, very bad. <laughs> so close to improv. So, but it's, even if something's so close to something, it's not that thing, right? Like, it's so close to created by me, but it's not created by me. Like, you know what That's I mean? That's right, yeah. Discredit me. <laughs> I'm not discrediting no, you. No, it's what you're saying. doing. No, it's fun. I'm just saying, like, let's say I wrote a song, right? And then someone said... <laughs> 
I could have written that song, and it's so close to something that I would have written. That's a completely different scenario. <laughs> That's like somebody saying, ooh, did you that write this a- song yesterday? And you saying, no, I actually wrote it a couple days ago, but I could have written it yesterday. It's yeah, more in line with that. Cause- you're right. You're right. My, I, I, will, I will stand back and say that my um, example did not have legs. <laughs> and as we see, once again, Jane attempting mm-hmm. to discredit me, um, a black host um, of a <laughs> fairly successful podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm just appalled in general. And you know? you're just putting together the facts and stating them for people. And I think everybody appreciates that. But in this case, uh, I'm going (laughs) to I'm going to push back. You know, I'm going to, in the words of salt and pepper, push it real good. Um, Speaking speaking of accessories, I have something to talk about. So on our Instagram today, we posted a picture of Brandon and I from 13 years ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. And (laughs) um, we are dressed according to the times. Um, <laughs> my friend Jimmy called out the fact that I, she was like, you look really emo in this pic. And I was like, why? Just because I have dark hair. And she was like, I see that eyeliner sneaking all the way around those eyes, <laughs> which was. Yeah, actually... you were. No, you were never like an emo girl. Um, <laughs> no, no. But that was the look at the time. You know what I mean? That was like, you know, you had was... like Jane had like that, that Bob, that really like severe. Um, lesbian Bob that a lot of the businesswomen had at that moment. Um, it's like if you were going to be a person who opened an art gallery and supported local queer artists, this is the haircut that you would have. But frequented like Hillary Duff concerts on the weekend. <laughs> A poseur. And um, I. But Brandon was was wearing a fedora. uh, I had a fedora that didn't fit my head. (laughs) If I remember correctly, I procured. In in all fairness, I have a really big head, and most hats don't fit. And it took me until I was an adult um, in my 30s to realize you need special hats. Like, you gotta find the sites that are gonna accommodate that noggin. Um, So, I have a fedora that doesn't fit because I was just like, there's a lot of things that I used to buy all my clothes from thrift stores and mm. none of them fit great. It was like one, it was well, like one. Well, that's the problem. That was a, but my, stores. but I was so comfortable with it. I think about all of the horrible, oh my God. like ill-fitting shoes that I wore that didn't fit Me my too. feet because I yeah. wore like a size 14 and I would just stuff my foot into some 12s like it was nobody's business and just like, go about my day. And my feet Wasn't were just painful? pressed in there. Yeah. I wouldn't wear shoes that were too small, but I wear ones that were too big for sure. I told you the but story. But that didn't exist for you because you have enormous feet. No, it was rare that they were my size. I told you the story about how. So I have. Um, I'm not perfect, people. Um, I have little baby corn on each of my feet. And um, oh, Jane loves that. Where this is going. Um, they're really tiny and they're not that <laughs> noticeable, but like I never cared about my feet because I never like thought about like. I've about never feet seen... being like beautiful or like what were you gonna say? Right. I was gonna say I don't think I've ever seen you in open toe, but that's not true. I've seen you in Birkenstocks. I mean, yeah, but I wear socks with my Birkenstock Birkenstocks and, and I don't usually leave the house in them. But like it but in the summer I've seen you wear Birkenstocks without socks. Yeah, okay. but it's like it's so rare. It's I so really rare. don't like I'm You're not, not a an open fan. Toe I don't like open toed shoes. I don't like any shoe that if something pops off, I can't run fast away. That's my number one reason for not wearing <laughs> what a, sandals a lot. What a like what a window into your personality. <laughs> if you have look, if you have to jump a fence 
or mm-hmm. like climb over something to get away from danger and you're in a mm-hmm. pair of shoes, you're going to have to lose them and you're going to take mm-hmm. some pebbles to the foot after that. So I like to keep mm-hmm. full shoes on at most times. Mm-hmm. So it's rare that you really get a look at my toes. Even in my house, I always mm-hmm. have socks on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's my little thing. But, you know, I didn't know that I had I, I, I didn't. I didn't know. Okay, so my feet, those corns are definitely the result of me wearing two tiny shoes um, and thinking I was doing it. And I remember like... To be honest with you, I don't even really know what a corn is. It's like a hard formation on like the top of your your foot. And I think it has something to do with the rubbing and the friction that happens. And I just remember like one time, like five... Or six years ago, like my grandmother, like I had my shoes off at my grandmother's house and she was like, oh, she was like, you got a corn on your foot. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, that's such a shame. You had such beautiful feet. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And I was like, I did. And she was like, yeah, you always had such pretty feet. And what? I was like, oh, what? And I was like, I did. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, I, I didn't know. Can I get like the corns removed? And she was like, nope, those are going to be with you for life. And I felt so like, I was so sad because I was like, why did nobody tell me that I had beautiful feet I needed to be like preserving? If I'd known they were beautiful and ex- exceptional toes, I would have taken better care of them. But it took somebody saying, wow, what you had there was really great for me to be like, oh, no, I messed it all up. Um, so, you know, we call that a lesson learned and we move forward. Well, but. as I believe it was Joni and then Janet said, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And Big Yellow the- Taxi, baby. <laughs> Big Yellow Taxi. Um, Such a sad song. Such a sad Such a beautiful song, song but it's like, mm-hmm. I, re- I remember in undergrad, my friend listening to that song with a friend of mine, and she, <laughs> what did she think that, she thought they were saying paid paradise to put up a parking lot, and then I was like, no, it's paved paradise mm-hmm. to put up a parking lot. And she started crying, and she was like, "That's she was like, that's the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard." And I was like, "Well, that's Joni for you." That's Joni. But Johnny. I remember she was like, she was amazed by that, and I was like, "Yeah, that's a good lyric." Our girl knew well, what she was doing. She's not going to be on Spotify much longer, so you might as well listen. Well, to well she's pulling it off, just like she's it Neil off Young. Yeah, you know, he's going somewhere else with that heart of gold. Mm-hmm. And- Iconic. I really, I actually really love Neil Young. So I don't. I know Joni better than I know Neil Young. Like I feel like my parents know Neil Young. Really Your parents well. know Neil Young. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and I feel like I know Joni better, like on a personal level. But Neil Young, I have like a an idea. You know, Neil Young's I really could, great. Yeah, I mean that I Joni know, Mitchell, but I just never like. Yeah, they're both like iconic, in. and I'm sure there's some sort of like, I don't know, hemp. Tele- telegram going around to all mm. those those real heads back then. I know <laughs> I'm sure the artist formerly known as Cat Stevens is going to be getting on this real soon too, mm. and going to mm. be removing all of, all that music because you know mm-hmm. the first cut's the deepest, and I'm sure mm. he's like, no, 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 not me. Did remember when she, did Show Crow do that song? Yeah, she did a cover of it, but people I... still to this day will be like, oh, let Show Crow. That song she wrote, and I'm like, no, girl. No, no, honey. No. Um, not to shade Cheryl Crow. No, no, no. Cheryl's great. But by the way, we Jane, are you so, are literally. 
we are You're so literally to the my kids right favorite now. mistake. You were literally my favorite mistake. So I'll I just want to talk about how relatable we are to the children right now. Oh, do you think every all of our all all of our all our young young listeners? Cheryl Crow, we have some. We do have some because I have some friends who are younger who sometimes text me and be like, "What are you talking about?" Because I didn't understand. Like, I have friends in their, like, their 20s, you know what I mean? Who? Oh, a lot younger than you. I don't know. I fucking hate you. <laughs> They're in their late 20s. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Anyways, speaking of, um, I don't know. I have no transition. But I would love to talk about the movie yeah. that you chose this week called The Watermelon yeah. Woman. Jane did not want to watch this movie. She what? told me afterwards. You literally said to me, I hate black female protagonist and i said well you're gonna learn something this week girly actually this is a movie that i have been i it it, that has been on my radar since i was a teenager and i was thinking about why i didn't watch why i have missed it and this week you know while i was watching it and preparing and i was like you know i think one of the most difficult things about queer movies and particularly this movie like was inaccessibility you know what i mean like as the internet started doing streaming stuff things became so much more accessible but like i would when i was younger and a teenager i would like you know read everything about you know being queer on the internet just to gain information and talk to my friends who had information and they would you know we'd share CDs and DVDs and stuff like that but like I could never get my my hands on a copy of this movie and so it's interesting now even now it's kind of difficult to get I mean I just rented it on um on Apple Right. And that's what I'm saying. It was like, it was only available like in that sense, which is like, I had to like look for, there are a couple of streaming services that like you go to that are sort of like your go-tos. And it was like three or four down the list. I think like a lot of people don't have access to Apple TV. You know what I mean? Like it's not necessarily like one of the streaming services that is like most people have like Netflix or something like that. So <clears throat> David, chi- our producer did chime in with here comes Jane with the excuses. And I thought it was, Oh my God. <laughs> um, worth, um, noting. Um, yeah. So I knew this was going to be a hard pill to swallow for Jane this week. Um, but what I thought is it was this? this is a real a, pile on, a, a on medicine, me. um, that she needed, you know? Um, no, I actually thought Jane really enjoyed this movie, which is why I recommended it. Um, and uh, I'm going to go ahead. It's, I was going to say, it's a part of the Criterion Collection, which I know, mm. I think in 20, I want to say in 2020, I think, there was like, during like, you know, the the George Floyd protests and the, the, uh, the rise in like the Black Lives Matter movement, I think that they pick, they took some of their their black films or films about black life and they made them free for people to stream, which was mm. their way of being like we're in the sh- we're in the struggle with you. Yeah, here, watch this. <laughs> um, but we won't I, make any money off of this thing that we've already made money off of. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm gonna get into um, my synopsis of the movie. Yeah, please. Here we go. Cheryl is an aspiring black lesbian filmmaker who makes her living working at a bookstore with her best friend Tamara. She freelances on the side, doing weddings and filming functions all over Philadelphia. After stumbling upon a film featuring an arresting black actress from the 1930s known regrettably as The Watermelon Woman, she becomes obsessed. 
While this burgeoning fascination with the watermelon woman takes hold, Cheryl is also soon involved in a romantic entanglement with a young woman named Diana she meets while working at the movie rental store. As she delves further into the world of the watermelon woman, she soon discovers that her name was actually Faye Richards, and they have more in common than she could have imagined. Faye was actually a queer woman just like Cheryl. They've also both navigated the complexities of interracial relationships in a world that doesn't always situate the black female queer experience. As Cheryl struggles to understand Faye, she is faced with questions surrounding her own identity and the challenges that come with mining through a past that didn't celebrate the cinematic contributions of black women. Cheryl also has to find a way to honor a history that no one valued enough to thoughtfully preserve and find new ways to explore a black queer legacy that wasn't meant to be remembered. And there it is. The watermelon woman. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, so I like have read a lot about this movie, but could didn't before, but that was like years ago. So before Mm -hmm. we watched it, I didn't know that it was like a mockumentary style. Yeah. It's like a mockumentary of like the making of. Yeah. Yeah. It's the making of a documentary and doing a mockumentary of making of the documentary. It's all very meta and really, um, smartly done and I was just one of my first things was like this is so funny that this was made in 1996 because in like the early to mid aughts like the mockumentary style was like everything you know what I mean yeah absolutely everywhere and it was so this is like one of those things where it was like not only this movie is ahead of its time in so many ways but like in that particular style like a documentary inside a documentary inside you know um, a mockumentary. So it was like that; those three layers, which I thought was a really interesting take on how to tell this story. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, I think that this movie is one that I know is taught a lot of like queer theory, you know, classes and like classes to do with like black queerness and mm-hmm. classes to do with like intersectionality because mm-hmm. it's like a really great example in media of um, intersectionality, mm-hmm. which just sort of speaks to like power structures and how certain groups, marginalized groups in particular, are situated between um, multiple um, multiple identities that are in conversation with um, the the patriarchy that's in place and like. Um, sort of fighting at times to sort of situate themselves within it and within the world. Um, Obviously, like, within every um, minority group, there are um, issues and there are concerns and there are battles that are fought. And sometimes when you exist um, in between multiple minority um, categories, then the impact that that has on you is different than someone who may exists within just one of those. So, like, Mm -hmm. the reality of, like, a world where, like, you are a black lesbian woman, you are then existing at this intersectionality of womanhood and of blackness and of queerness. So you've got Mm -hmm. three things that are three completely different battles that you have to contend with, and there is a unique way that those three things come together, and when they come together, they can coalesce to create even more of a disparity. Uh, and so that's sort of one of the things that's explored within this movie. And I read that um, 
Cheryl, the um, the writer of the film, she um, she talks about how like what inspired this was her own studies and like not mm-hmm. finding like any real representation of like the black queer um, female experience, like looking for it, and she was sort of like, I know it had to have been there, but that was like a. A struggle, and that's what inspired her to sort of like make a version of a reality um, where mm-hmm. she had the opportunity to um, to explore it. And so she created this fictional character to address those concerns and to like address that disparity within like you know film canon. Yeah, and you know it's it, <laughs> this movie like deals with so many things, and it's so it 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 is. It is a beautiful, I think, like, uh, I don't even know, snapshot of what it's like to exist within all those intersectionalities. And we so often when we have particularly like movies about queer women is like and I know that we've talked about this before, but it is overwhelmingly, you know, stories of white queer women and queer, you know queer groups in general, whether it's men or women or non-binary people or whatever, really tend to center their um, activism and their work around the white experience and have so much trouble trying to, uh, you know, make sure that their work is, um, you know, intersectional and so this is like this is the this this is the first of its kind and it's the first feature film by a black lesbian woman which is like crazy Crazy. to me that that's in 1996 like that was not that long ago that was you know and i mean to be honest like how many more have been made after not enough of course but it was really um refreshing to see like you know it's just one of those things where it's like this can be funny this can be interesting this can be painful this can be a million different things um but i think the nice thing to see is like people um who experience these things are at the in front of and behind the camera and I loved that about this film because there were some really funny parts. I mean, I thought Tamara was a hilarious character. She was like kind of um, the comic relief throughout this whole thing because it's like um, not necessarily like painful, but frustrating. Like it was frustrating to go on the journey with Cheryl to be like, you know, at every turn she'd run into a roadblock, um, you know, about trying to find out who Faye was. And one of the most frustrating conversations was with, she found Faye's sister, or sorry, not Faye's sister, um, the director, the white director of these, this... Um, oh, Martha, right? Martha Page, I think her name yes, was? Yes, it was Martha, yeah. she finds Martha Page's sister. Martha Page's sister, who's like, they try to have a conversation about her, Martha and Faye's relationship, and she, like, freaks out about her sister not being a lesbian, and I was just like, this is so funny. Like, this isn't the point of the story, and also it's like, the evidence is all there, and you're still being like, not my sister! Not my sister. We never talked about things like that. She was just always, you know, out in the, the garden or hunting or 
She had a number of lovely roommates, and that's all she needed for her life. Yes, no, you know, lifelong companions, like friends, gal pals that she did everything with, you know? It was always them and those U-Hauls moving in together, and they were quick about it, too. But that's how, that's how women are that, you know, aren't likely to take husbands. <laughs> they find the roommates real fast, and it's a very dramatic end when things always, go awry. Always in Birkenstocks. Hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It also is like one of, I, I mean, I it's it's funny with these movies from the 90s that are so, this movie was, um, was I think, released theatrically March 5th, 1997, made in like 1996. I'm sure that mm. journey of like, you know, submitting it into festivals and that kind of a thing, you know, mm-hmm. was a long one. Um, but it's crazy because it's like, as we approach... Um, 1997, March 5th of 1997 being 25 years ago. Um, it's just like, whoa. But you watch the movie and it's like this snapshot into, and it's more, it's actually more interesting with these types of movies because it's like, obviously for, for, uh, me and Jane, it's like, it's like a snapshot into like the queer world though, you know, from like, Mm -hmm. from like this period too. So it's always like fun to see like those fashions. I saw in an interview, she was, she was like, she was talking about, she was like, and I was in a dress in in one of the I noticed that. And that made me laugh. It made me laugh too because I was like, this is so interesting. Like, also, I mean, within the queer world, there's always been, um, you know, um, the playing with gender and gender roles and all that kind of stuff, and particularly when it comes to like dressing. And I was like surprised that she herself was making this movie and, um, was wearing a dress, I think, in more than one scene. I think she was wearing it in two scenes. I, rem- I only remember the one scene when they're in the back with Annie and they're talking and then um, Annie storms out. Tamara, like, makes some comment. Annie invites, like, Cheryl to go to this festival and she's wearing a... Cheryl's wearing, like, this black baseball cap. And yeah. then, like, Annie... And then Tamara and her get into this little spat and then she, like, walks out of the room and she's in this dress. That's the only time I remember. And it... it I don't know if it Wasn't didn't, like... was she in a dress when she went to go see that guy that her friend, mom was friends with? It was, like, I think he was a gay guy and he had, he had like, all those... Oh, yeah. Was she in a dress? She, I think she was in a dress. Okay, yeah. maybe she, maybe she was. I just in the interview she noted it, and she was like, "Bill," because the interviewer like asked her about, um, you know, how long it had been. I think this interview is from last year, and mm-hmm. the interviewer asked her how long it had been since she'd seen the film, and she said, "I saw it like a couple months ago. If there's ever any sort of like, you know, function that I'm invited to, you know, they obviously play the film." But she also noted that um, her mother Irene actually was in the film and played her mother, and she said, "My mother since passed, so right before." that Aww. scene she said I always leave the theater and um, oh, I was wondering if that was really her mother yeah. because they sort of looked alike and I was yes. like maybe that's her mother her aunt or something like a familial um, connection yeah but I will say and this that that's so sweet and um her mom plays her mom in the film during one of yes. like the documentary scenes where she's sort of trying to get like info about like these 1930s like black actresses. <laughs> um, and it gets me like I have the sense that there's like some ad living there because at one point yeah. she like says something to her mother that's like a little bit pushy and she's like, Cheryl, I'm your mother. You don't talk to me like that. And I was just <laughs> like, that just like warms my heart finding out that that was actually her real mother. Also, I think we would be remiss if we didn't actually talk about how hot she 
Cheryl is. I was, was I've been, I was going, for me. I was going to, <laughs> I was just about to say she's also absolutely stunning. Um, she's so She's gorgeous. like distractingly she's... beautiful. Like she's. I, and still to this day, because you know your girl did a Google image. Oh, no. No, Cheryl's still looking good. She's she, She's got some she's different fits. She's in her fits, 50s. But, but she's she, looking good. She's looking really good. And, you know, I think she was 25 when she made this film. Um, oh, yeah. She was, um, you know. And so she's she's aged very well. And mm. so that was, that's a, I mean, look. If, you know, if that's not going to get you in, in your seat watching this movie, I don't know what well. She's very, She's, very beautiful. It is, yeah. Um, yeah, it is just, it's a fact. Facts are facts. Um, well, and not to mention her girlfriend in this movie is um, played by Guinevere Diana. Turner. Diana, played by Guinevere Turner. Who do you know? Do you know Guinevere? Do you know? Oh, okay. Okay, so let me explain this to you because I, I like, I knew she was associated with this movie, but again, like I have not thought about this movie in a while. Didn't do research before I started watching because I love to go into these things blind. And so one of the first lines in the movie when she is talking to Tamara about how Tamara's like 50 or uh, her Tamara's like cut from working the wedding is like $50 short. And they're, they're working like, a wedding and like the first scene of the movie, they're like working a wedding. It's like a side gig and her best friend Tamara is helping her. And when she gives her the money, Tamara's like, you owe me 50 more dollars. And she's talking about like these costs that like exist outside of like, you know, their payment basically. And Tamara's like, that's all fine and dandy, but <laughs> I'm looking I for half somebody. a Benjamin girl. Yeah. <laughs> Which, understandable. But then Cheryl says something like, oh, well, like it says in the Go Fish book by, Ro by Rose and Gwen, you have to say, I can't remember what the end of the sentence is, like you have to save money to like get, you have to like put money towards your own projects or something like that. And I was like, I wonder if she's talking about um, Guinevere Turner and Rose, I don't know how to pronounce her name, it's either Troche or Troche, um, but they're two like pretty iconic lesbian filmmakers. Um, and Guinevere Turner, I know originally because she was on The L Word and a writer um, for The L Word, I think for the first couple oh. seasons. And she also wrote and starred in Go Fish, which is the film that they're referencing, which was like her and Rose wrote together when they were dating. They were a couple in the early 90s. And um, they were both writers and they wrote and shot this film, Go Fish, which is a very iconic lesbian movie. Um, and then they broke up and I think like went to go on to do other things. They both worked for the L word. I don't know if they were together or, you know, at the same time or whatever, but, um, Rose then went on to do like the safety of objects she wrote. And then I think she, um, she worked on the L word a little bit. Um, and she did, oh gosh, she's done so much stuff. Um, a lot of directing too. Um, and then Guinevere Turner, she wrote American Psycho, like the screenplay for American Psycho. And um, so they really? just are both, yeah, they're both oh, like wow. very big within like the lesbian 
um, filmmaking and television world. And so when I heard their names, I was like, this is so funny because this is all I know that they, you know, it's just all such a small community, whether like they're, they're like, you know, sort of 90s lesbians. So it was... It was fun to just, like, hear them being mentioned in the movie. And then, of course, Guinevere Turner shows up later in the movie as the love interest. And I was like, oh, my God. So all just very lovely and gay. That's so that's so um, interesting because we see that Cheryl's done, like, directing and stuff. She's directed some of her own films. She's uh, worked on, like, Dear White People. I think she directed an episode of Mm. Dear White People. She also directed Lovecraft Country. And so she's been working, too. It's interesting because she mentions um, in one of the articles I read, she mentions Go Fish. And I looked it Mm. up and I saw that Guinevere was in it as well because I didn't know what it was. But she was talking about, I think, those movies that were sort of coming out about the queer experience Mm -hmm. um, at this time. And she was talking about how, like, as these movies were being made, you know, she didn't see people that looked like her. And that was like what sort of like inspired her to do to do the thing and to be the thing that she wanted to see um, Mm -hmm. in the films. But I remember I saw Go Fish and I looked it up and I was like this. It reminded me. So (laughs) I've never seen this film, but one of my dear friends, my friend Mary Beth, she I remember always had on her video shelf this lesbian film called High Art. Oh my God. Of course. Of course. And I just remember always seeing it and being like, what's this about? Like, I never watched it, but it looked very, like, moody. And, like, I was like... Uh, expect it to show up for you is all I want to oh. say. Like, we don't have to. It's that is a classic lesbian movie. Okay, along with Go Fish as well. Nice. Um, also, I just am realizing because I'm like f- scrolling through Rose's Wikipedia. She directed this movie called Bedrooms and Hallways, which is like a gay British movie. Which like I. When I like not a lot of people have heard of, but like I used to rent from the video store like pretty continuously. Maybe that's one I'll give you as well. But um, it stars Kevin McKidd, who's um, he's actually Scottish, I think. But he is um, he's such a good actor, and he was in um, a bunch of stuff, including Train Spotting or whatever. And um, it's just a really good movie, so maybe I'll maybe I'll add that to your list someday too. But I didn't realize that she directed it, so that's kind of crazy. It's all such a small fucking world. I looked up um, this movie that sounds super interesting to me. It's another movie that um, Cheryl uh, wrote and directed. It's called The Owls. It's from 2010, and the summary mm. is two middle-aged lesbian couples accidentally kill a younger lesbian and hide the body without reporting it to the authorities. Their guilt oh and God. long-kept deep secret comes back <laughs> to haunt them as an unexpected stranger shows up in their lives, bringing tension and discord. Little do they, little do they know that this mystery stranger has a plan which includes all four of them and I was like I couldn't be more hooked Cheryl like it's considered watched what is it called again the owls hold on I know this movie okay hold on hold on hold on Oh yeah, because Gwen I've seen this movie. This oh. is actually this I've seen this movie. Okay. Oh, so you've oh. already seen a movie with Cheryl in it. Yes, I didn't realize it was That's her. So wild. Oh my god. Okay, so there's actually I 
I remember this movie. Oh my god, I did not know this was Cheryl. Everything is And to be fair, everybody, this isn't Jane thinking all black people look alike. This movie was made (laughs) twenty three years after, you know, and also still gorgeous. It's the opposite because I didn't know it was the same person. (laughs) No, for sure. I'm just saying, you know, in case anybody wants to come for my girl, there's plenty of things to come for Jane about, but this isn't one. Thank you. Um, Um, Okay, so Guinevere Turner is is in that one. And also, this person named um, on IMDb named V.S. Brody, who is the um, person in the karaoke bar who is singing when we first arrive at the karaoke bar, which is one of the worst karaoke songs. So, so there's a scene. The character's name is Yvette. Tamara and Stacy. They're a. Couple. This is not Yvette. This is. I'm talking about the like white redhead lesbian. Oh, the first, first one. Get okay. Yeah, so yeah. well, Jane brought it up. So I'm just gonna. Start. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about Yvette. <laughs> so, so this scene is. Um, it's a scene where uh, Cheryl's been sort of like forcibly like pushed onto this sort of, like, date that she doesn't really want to go on. Tamara's sort of set it up, and she's trying to convince her that, like, you know, she should go out and, you know, meet someone. And so uh, Tamara's girlfriend, Stacy has a friend named Yvette. And she convinces... Um, she convinces Cheryl to go out with... Um, to go out on a date <laughs> with Yvette. Um, and they end up at this... And Yvette's played by um, an actress named Kat Robertson. And they are at the karaoke bar, and um, they also make reference to what I know had to have been School Days, which was released in the late 80s. I want to say 87 or 88, a Spike Lee film, because they're talking about Mm. auditioning for a Spike Lee film, like a musical. And I was like, that has to be School Days. Um, Tara loves that movie, I'm pretty sure. School Days? Yeah, it's a great film. I think she talks about that quite a bit. (laughs) It's a good one. Um, It's a good one. I don't think I've seen it. I think I've seen parts of it, but I don't think I've seen the whole thing. And, yeah, and it's a good one too if you want to talk more about intersectionality it's another really really great film um, not turning this into a critical race theory class guys um, but <laughs> it's worth it's worth noting uh, but it's really great because Yvette like goes up on stage because she's going to perform like this song she also like kind of comes for Stacy, like because she basically says that like Stacy didn't support her when um, the audition was happening um, for the Spike Lee film and the role that she didn't get and actually at one point Stacy says yeah Yvette didn't get Get the role and she ended up putting a guy in the hospital which i was like "Ooh, <laughs> like that's a lot um do you remember that when yvette when, when yvette gets up to go like yes. put in her song stacy like leans over to cheryl and she's like yeah she actually ended up putting a guy in the hospital because i know it was like why are you trying like it seemed like they were trying to set cheryl and yvette up and then they're just telling them the worst parts of yvette <laughs> It's yeah, it's like when I've said Jane up on a couple of dates and then I feel the need to like warn the person before though mm-hmm. also that she has some <laughs> toxic habits. Um as noted people in the hospital. Not as, people. It's some as noted on IG today, Jane did a lot of gaslighting. Um <laughs> today um she referred to oh. me as her tiny king and i was like what if, if that's me then what like i don't want to i wonder what big ed has to say about it that's what i thought because i know you called big, him that shout too. out to big ed of 90 day fiance fame got um, that cut got that haircut about, thank god um 
Okay, so the reason why I was inspired by that is because okay, so originally that okay, I, I do that picture that we shared on um, IG today is a picture from 13 years ago, and it's me, Brandon, and our friend Patrick, which um, the our social media intern, let's call them Linus, cut out. Patrick. So there's Patrick Erasure in this photo, which he certainly meant commented on the photo. That's like, out. yeah, he's like, how fucking dare you cut me out, you bitches? Um, and uh, uh, my friend Jimmy saw it and she texted me and she was like, "This is so funny. Brandon looks like he's Lady Gaga height right next to you." And so that sort of inspired. Um, my post about you being tiny and having had um, height augmentation surgery, which when she said Lady Gaga height, she may have meant like height in terms of stardom or fame. Like, no, just, she didn't. I'll I'll be talking to her to make sure of that because <laughs> um, I know how you like to twist things. Uh, but um, also, so Yvette goes up to sing karaoke. She picks one of the most, which I didn't realize until she picked the song. I'd never thought about it before, but when she picked the song, I thought to myself, what a difficult. Song I read to pick at karaoke. I've never thought about it before, but in that moment, I was just like, I don't think anybody other than like, I don't know. It's a very small group of people that I want to hear do Minnie Ripperton. One of them, chiefly yes. being Maya Rudolph. Anytime. Exactly. So um, for you guys who don't know and haven't seen the movie, she chooses the Minnie Ripperton song Loving You, which is a famously difficult Loving thing. you mm-hmm. is easy cause you're beautiful. And every time that we <laughs> I do. I have I don't wanna I'll break Cut this microphone out. if I do my whistle reg. You, know, you know I tried these kids you, aren't ready. You know I tried. Oh, I'll set you up, Jane. Poorly. I'll set you up. Hold no, on. I tried to. Do, I tried no, 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 to do no, no. that bad. No, I tried Jane, to I'm do gonna that set bad. you up. You ready? I don't need you to set me up because I have. That. I try. Uh, it gave. It gave what it gave. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm gonna leave it at that. Um, and y'all um, don't come for my friend. I'm not warmed up. Is the thing, and that's why I couldn't get there. Sure. I'm not. It wasn't the you. The it wasn't my twenties, which I spent smoking cigarettes. It, it. It's. It's. Um. I haven't done any of my vocal warm ups in months. So. <laughs> That's sort of why I couldn't get there. But anyways, um, one of my favorite lines, (laughs) one of my favorite lines (laughs) by Yvette, Yvette, as she's getting up from the table and she goes, tell them I'm a singer. (laughs) I was just like isolated. I was like, something I say to Brandon all the time, tell them, like, you're yeah. leaving a table and being like, tell them, tell them I'm a singer. Tell and them goes, my version oh. of events. Then she goes up to the mic and actually this actress who, I'm sorry, what's her name again? I, I Kat Robertson. Kat Robertson. What have I seen her in? Because I know I've seen her in something. She has one of those faces. I thought the same thing, although I didn't know specifically what it was. She hasn't done a lot. Um, okay. Maybe I haven't seen her, but she looked like she a lot of like She does a lot of like makeup work. She's a makeup artist. Oh, okay. She seemed, I'm going to be honest, she did not seem like she went to college with the rest of them. She seemed like a little bit older. 
I thought that. <laughs> but she goes up and she goes to sing the song and um, she doesn't do a great job. <laughs> but actually, as she's singing, you can kind of tell that she has a better voice than she's letting on, which I thought was funny because I felt like I noticed that. Did you notice that? Yes. And I also thought at the very beginning, she actually sounded pretty good. And I was she, like, <laughs> and then I could was, tell she was like, she was, uh, she was tamping it down. She has a better voice than, she, than this character was supposed to. Here's the thing. I like, you can sound good on a lot of the song up until a certain point. There's a point in the song mm-hmm. where, the the pros the pros sort of move away from the amateurs um it just is what it is and that's that's how it's got to be either you have a whistle whistle register or you don't um it is what it is god i wish in what world i bring it up in conversation all the time people would hate me (laughs) if anybody was like hey you want to go get some chili dogs and i'd be like do i have one of the best whistle registers on this block And it's like, yeah. Just waiting for confirmation. Everyone's fucking silent. Do I have the best whistle register in Chicago? And somebody's like, well, Mariah Carey's in town tonight, so. Mm-hmm. That, well, then, no, I don't. But you get the point. If she was out of here, ask me in a week, Ask me next weekend. She'll be gone. Um, it's like, still not you. There's world-famous opera singers all over. Stop <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. And then um, I really love, too, like, the thing about this movie that I really love, too, is that, like... You know, she sort of, like, sheds light on, you know, the fact that there were so many of these, like, black actresses. Maybe not necessarily queer actresses, but she talks a Mm -hmm. lot about the black um, actress and, like, you know, the movie trope that so many of these black stars were sort of... um, stuck in Mm -hmm. you know you have like Louise Beavers who she mentions who starred Mm -hmm. in a show called Melba you have Hattie McDaniel the first African American to win an Academy Award Mm -hmm. um, for Gone with the Wind they have actually in this interview they have a really good conversation about Gone with the Wind BT Dubs another movie I've never seen I've never seen it either you haven't either they have they actually have a conversation about it and the writer asks her how she feels about um, the movie being pulled I think it was I want to say HBO pulls it pulled it down um and it was like yeah, a kind of a conversation during, like a year ago yeah it was during the whole george floyd um you know movement right after his death and um i think they removed it from hbo and then they put it back with a warning does that what happened did they put it back with a warning i'm pretty sure i don't know if it's still available but um i i would like to see that movie someday I, you know, I would like to see it too. I agree. Mm-hmm. I know it's like a doozy um, mm-hmm. as far as length for sure. And I'm sure it's plenty of. How long is it? Too. It's like three plus hours. It's a oh long my God. film. What is it, um, Titanic? I could barely and, see uh, it. Yeah, I mean, right? They have, but like, they have a. A really, a really great um, conversation. I'm actually looking for it because I thought it was... Okay, so the interviewer asks, HBO Max recently announced it was temporarily shelving Gone with the Wind. I feel like it ties into The Watermelon Woman because so much of your character's journey is trying to find this woman in a movie that might have also been shelved. That conversation might not ever have happened. What do you make of Gone with the Wind being shelved? And Cheryl responds, I'm conflicted for a variety of reasons, but I'm very clear that the film should still be out there. Conversations and discussions should be had because it is a film that our first Oscar came from, right? Hattie McDaniel. 
her troubled life in a sense of dying too soon, in the sense of her place within the African-American arts community and the disrespect from that and what she lived for. You're going to shut down that film? Why not find out more about it? Why don't we dissect it and think about it a little bit more? Without that mm-hmm. film, I couldn't make my film. Without that film, people could not resist against that rep- that representation. We should mm-hmm. have a major discussion about that. We have to see we have to see it to be able to understand it. Let's talk about that. And I thought that was a really interesting um, perspective. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I guess it's worth mentioning that you know Hattie McDaniel very. Um, you know, very famous um, black film actress. She played Mammy, uh, mm-hmm. name of the character, unfortunately, uh, Mammy in the movie Gone with the Wind, for which she won a Best Supporting um, Actress Academy Award, um, made history, you know, was at the ceremony, like, you know, suffered the indignity of not being allowed to even sit in the section with, like, the other nominees who were in the film with her. Um, I think they said she had to sit at a table near, like, the bathrooms in the back. Um, and um, so it's like, fucking blue. you know, and, um, but you know, yeah, she suffered indignities and she played, you know, many roles like this, but I've heard many times that like, you know, the performances in the movies are, are wonderful. And Hattie McDaniel is typically the performance that people I've heard people bring up, um, of her course. Just being, you know, yeah. incredible in this film, but you know, these, these were the roles that black actresses had to play. Like I've heard mm-hmm. interviews with like Ruby D and like. Lena Horne talking about that, you know, and talking Mm -hmm. about sort of Lena Horne in particular. I remember talking about pushing back against like those images that were like, you know, the pervasive images of the time. I've also, you know, heard um, stories about Dorothy Dandridge pushing back against that, too. And Mm -hmm. one of the I think Dorothy Dandridge, um, if I remember correctly, was the first African-American actress nominated for best lead actress in a movie for her iconic role in Carmen Jones. Um, Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it, um, you should. She's amazing. And speaking of absolutely drop dead gorgeous women who are so beautiful that you get kind of distracted Mm -hmm. um, and then you go in the bathroom you see your face and you just like <laughs> yeah. you, you put like a you put a sheet over the mirror You're and like, like ah. it's, it's just a, yeah a I was gonna say sigh. in the gayest reference I was about to make um, I was gonna say you put like the sheet over the mirror like Barbara Streisand does when um, Jeff Bridges doesn't want to sleep with her and the mirror has two faces that dramatic Shout moment to when she, one of our first episodes if you haven't listened to it yet and one pause, of our most go listen and one of I would say one of our most voracious um, listeners, um, Barbara Streisand. Uh, <laughs> shout out, baby girl, and uh, thank you for always prioritizing us. She watch she watches she listens to the show every week. She watches mm-hmm. the live feed. She's a woman after my heart. Um, always, always. Yeah, She's, absolutely. Th- if there's no one else supporting us like Babs. To know that Barbara Streisand listens is enough to keep going. Oh Absolutely. Can you imagine? No, God, I can't. I'd be a mess. <laughs> um, I also would maybe. Well, this can is I horrible. Go back I'd to, also, I want to go back to one of your points because I think you made a really good point. We kind of just we didn't. I'm, okay, I just want to say really quick that I would okay. lose respect for Barbara Streisand a little bit if she listened to our podcast. <laughs> Don't put that on the air. <laughs> no, no, you guys keep listening to me. <laughs> no, but we respect all of you so much for listening yeah. to us. <laughs> Try to dig yourself out of that one, Brandon. <laughs> I'm just going to let that hang in the air for a minute. If we could have like four seconds of dead air after that, that'd be great.
Um, but I do want <laughs> one of the really brilliant points you were making was um, in that interview to, and then talking about the whole um, Gone with the Wind thing and how I feel like we, you know, tend to as a society when we encounter something that we've done within the arts or within, you know, particularly in movies or television or books or something like that, where we have gone and looked back and been like, wow, this represents a group of people really poorly. And at the time we thought that was okay and that's not okay. And so what we're going to do is bury it. And that is, I think, I mean, obviously everything should be taken on a case by case basis, but that is the whole thing that like (laughs) allows us to like just walk blindly into the future while making the same mistakes over and over again. We need to see what, we came from and we need to have conversations of how we've evolved since those moments and explain like to uh, you know our youths <laughs> or whoever that may be that like these exist and here's why they we this is a jumping off point for this next thing that we made and this is a jumping off point for the, this next thing we made and so on and so forth you know what i mean i think about you know just to use um the l word as an example like that was such a groundbreaking show for queer women and um that community and for me in particular like I loved watching that show and now I go back and I watch it and I'm like almost every moment in this show is so fucking cringy but at the time I didn't know that and this is you know this is us evolving within our own communities as well and realizing our representation has to evolve with us and so yeah i i agree it's 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 a tough decision but i don't think burying the work is helpful you know no i agree i think it also like it requires us to deal with the fact one of the biggest things that's come out of this podcast and i already knew this but i think back on like growing up and it was Mm -hmm. only like you know I mean I'm 35 so I think back on like being like in my like teens and I think back even like early aughts late 90s and like looking at some of this stuff and you say wow one thing I noticed you know sometimes and I think we've talked about this before on the podcast but like that feeling where it's like god so many of these movies and so many of these worlds you know they are exclusively white And it's Mm -hmm. like, these are the movies that, you know, we grew up on and I watch them and you think about like what that does to you to not see yourself like in in the narrative and people say representation matters. And I feel like it said so much that people don't even really take it in as anything because it's like this phrase that's been used so much that it doesn't really have the impact, you know, that it used to. But I mean, it it's true and that's why it Mm -hmm. always bears repeating it's like it to see yourself and like there wasn't really a lot of like black queer you know representation at all and i think that one of Mm -hmm. the genius things about this film is sort of that idea of you know i'm going to make space you know Mm -hmm. i'm gonna create the space that i um that i wish to see in the world and Mm -hmm. i i think that that's like a really like you know like valid and important thing and it must have been also a little bit like 
I can only imagine, you know, it's it she, you know, she said in the interview she she was aware of the fact that she was um she was aware of the fact that this hadn't been done before. Um yeah. you know, but it's still it's 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 so wild, you know, that to to think about like having to sort of like place yourself, you know, in this world and be like, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell this story. And like, if it's not here, I'm going to, I'm going to make it a thing so that 20 years from now, there aren't young, you know, uh, queer, you know, people that are looking for a story like this. They can at least say, well, we know we have this, you know? And I think that like the movie, you know, the movie is, is all the more important. And 25 years later, it's having like, I think there's this sort of like, renaissance almost that's happening um and i think that like people are turning to some of these movies that were made by like you know sort of these auteur like filmmakers you know in the early to mid 90s who were like sort of challenging the establishment and like making these really like thoughtful uh movies that were like a counterpoint to like the commercial you know the one of the things that stood out to me in the interview was she asked um the interviewer asked her um, did you get a lot of like calls from like the big studios after this? And she literally says no six times. She says no, 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 no. She says that wasn't. A th- She's like that may have happened for some people, but she was like that wasn't really a thing like it is now. Because yeah. what what the interviewer said was, did you get calls for like you know? She said nowadays when somebody makes a really successful movie, independent film, they start getting calls from Marvel, you know, mm-hmm. about right. how we can bring you into the fold and that kind of thing. And she's like, no, that's not what happened for me. Um, mm. But that's a cute thought. Um, yeah, no, that would have been that nice. That would have been um, nice. <laughs> but it's also it goes to this like. Uh, you know, and she talks about this in the movie and I'm sure in the interview as well about like, you know, making the thing that you need to make, even if A, you're not sure what that thing is, because she starts off this movie being like, I don't know what kind of movie I want to make. And I think that is such a powerful thing to see from, you know, an art, another artist who's making something. And like, because I think a lot of the things that stops ourselves from making things all the time is like, I don't know what this thing is, but I'm just going to start. And starting is very difficult, particularly when you are convinced that you're going to have no backing from, you know, the powers that be within the film industry or within whatever industry you're working. And so the bravery and the the confidence behind your ability to, to, to make something that maybe won't speak to a large studio, but is going to speak to your friends and people like you. And um, someone will need to see this work because you needed to see it. And I think that's so important. Like this movie was only made for like 300 grand, which is a super, super low sum. And also I think like that was maybe, I don't know exactly how it works financially, but she got a grant from the NEA to make this to make this movie and she also um relied on donations from friends and you know a lot of the people in this movie like the cast are like people within the queer community you know what i mean i mean some of them are clearly not actors you know and so and and they came in and they did their day's work though damn it yeah exactly and this is sort of like (laughs) the fubu of filmmaking you know what i mean because it's like for us by us and Mm -hmm. it 
and it's it, it, it's really nice to see that it has had the reach that it has because in you know many many instances a lot of these things that are made don't and so yeah I just think it's um, really commendable in every way that it's gone this far and I mean no. it's good you know not to say that it's not good but no you know just certainly like <laughs> some of the people who had like a line or two you're like oh that's a famous queer person i know within this community who is not an actor <laughs> no for sure i mean i think that one of the most like successful aspects of the film is really um the relationship between her and her and her friend tamra and yeah like, that's sort of so significant the um the ups and downs and some of the funniest moments because the thing about this film too is at the heart of it i feel like it's a romantic comedy mm-hmm. um yeah and i think that like you do get that vibe too and i think that also her making a point to sort of like situate you know obviously like grounded in like this queer love is like mm-hmm. really revolutionary and like there are these moments, though, with her best friend where, like, you know, her friend <laughs> says to her, like, she says, like, since you don't have a since you don't have a girlfriend, all you do is watch these boring films, which I was like, oh, that's a lot. Um, but they have these fights. They're like real <laughs> fights know. though between friends. And I real fights. Also, by the way, when we were looking up, when I was like looking up what to refer to the store that they work at as we couldn't figure it out because it's such a weird set of words because I wrote down movie store and Dave was like it's not a movie store well it actually it's called a movie rental store is what I found because you always just call it blockbuster or we had like a store called video update like you always just refer to the store as As the the store you don't really say like hey are you gonna go to the video rental store today it's like I'm gonna go blockbuster. Well, we don't say that now because well, we don't say any of don't that. Exist. That was two decades ago. Um, but I know it's so funny that like but whole, yeah, that whole it was like maybe somebody will start exists. another one though. Like ironically, and like who knows? It'll probably be a bunch of like you know. Oh my god! Can you imagine walking there? It'd be so. Here's what it will be. It'll be a bunch of really, really obnoxious, um, like white guys in their mid-30s with mustaches and, like, sweaters from the thrift store that they should have, like, gotten rid of years and years ago. And it'll be horrible. They'll be so pretentious. And they'll be like, yeah, this just, like, looks better on VHS. And it's like, that isn't true and we know it's not true because we have eyes and technology and then the, and they'll just like convince you that like I don't know you know it's funny because I did like uh, while I was writing this like I have taken a film history class and it's like it's very interesting because all of the stuff that we saw it was like you know Fellini films and you know um, Citizen Kane and shit like that and it's like why the fuck isn't shit like this t-? you know what I mean like I'm sure it is it, but in that very specific class where it's like black queer film or something like that you know what i mean oh for sure yeah i mean i feel like now there is a there's a more of a concern on the part of the academy especially at like the bigger universities because you know they're getting all of this like pushback from these students which is so wonderful because mm-hmm. i just feel like some of like when i was in school before i just feel like there were so many times where like things would happen or a professor would say something and like you may look at a classmate and be like huh? But, like, nobody spoke up. And Absolutely. it's, like, now it's, like, you know, these students are, like, nope. Yeah, I love and, it. And, you know, and they also got these phones to record them. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah, there seems to be a little bit more power um, in balance between, like, mm-hmm. a student and a professor nowadays or 
you know, just because, um, you know, there's just a lot more way of proving things. I don't know. That's oh. a whole different conversation. No, it's a whole different. But you're right, though. I but I do love in the movie. I do love like those moments where they're going at it, like at the store. And it's so mm. funny how like the like the counter at the store where the customers come out to like make purchases is like where they have so many of these conversations. I and, know. Like, and like the customers are literally just like trying to like check out VHS tapes. And it's like Cheryl <laughs> and Tamara going at it. And then their boss. One of the funniest moments in the movie is when they get a new a new girl um Annie Cheryl okay Cheryl is is black obviously and then we have Tamara who's also black and then we have the new girl who starts and she's kind of given a little bit of like not really goth tease she's got like dyed she's part raped, of her hair she's I'll, I'll I'll break it down for you she's yeah. like femme raver um queer girl yeah white White yes. femme raver queer girl. And there's this moment though where like their boss, who's this younger black guy, he like he comes out and he's like, he's I don't know, he's like he's yelling about something I think, or he's angry with them about something. Bob. And sh- and Tamara comes out of the back room and she goes, "There's a woman on the phone claiming to be your girlfriend." <laughs> And it was such a funny line. I I couldn't stop laughing. I was just something about that. Tamara has funny. all the funny lines because she just she just she says exactly what's on her mind whenever it's whenever it crosses her mind, and I love that about her. I think she. <laughs> So one of her lines, first of all, I don't understand why Tamara is really pushing a vet on Cheryl. <laughs> like right? she really wants She's Cheryl to, to date sell a vet to to Cheryl, and it's like, girl, we all like, heard the Minnie Ripperton cover. <laughs> we heard the Minnie Ripperton cover, and we heard the anecdote about how she physically assaulted someone. So like, I don't know. I wouldn't be running to the altar if that was. I mean, me. not exactly a winner winner chicken dinner. No, and. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tamara is like leaning against the counter and just talking to Cheryl about Yvette. And she goes, Yvette's got it going on with a bip and a bang. <laughs> I was like, that's such an incredible line. And I've never heard that before. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I have not. It was uh, confusing to me, but I loved it. There's also these moments where like, <laughs> where Tamara's like, they're like at the library, and Tamara's like, "We gotta go. I gotta get home before <laughs> Stacy gets home. I, you know, I gotta go do Stacey the whole is, thing tonight." Stacy is Tamara's girlfriend. girlfriend. She's like, "I gotta get home. I gotta get some flowers and some wine. I'm trying to get laid tonight." <laughs> yeah, Tamara's always trying to get laid. Like she's like, she's she's a horny bitch. <laughs> I kind of low key feel like Tamara may have ended up with a vet. Oh my god. Because, like, Tamara, later on, Tamara says in another scene, like, we're not having sex. And I... Do you think that Stacy would allow that? Because Yvette is Stacy's friend. I feel like there's no fucking way in hell. Because How would she Stacey... stop it, though? Yvette doesn't seem like the type who loves rules. <laughs> and she and she has put someone in the hospital, so I guess, yeah, I guess that's a good point. A grown man, apparently. Um, but it and would so... be the end of Stacy and Yvette's friendship. No, for sure. I'm yeah. Oh, absolutely. But we see like you know, and there's also like all of this tension between like Tamra and Annie. I feel like Tamra has a lot of mm-hmm. sort of 
issues with these. Also, obviously, we didn't mention this, but um, as a relationship develops between um, between Cheryl and Diana and and a romantic relationship between these two, Diana is white. Mm-hmm. And we see there's like this tension, you know, that exists between Tamara as a yeah. friend of Cheryl. Um, she has this issue with... Um, this white woman, you know, with Cheryl dating this white woman. And she also has an issue with this friendship that Cheryl has with Annie, another white woman. Um, Mm -hmm. And that sort of comes up and it's not fully sort of interrogated. I mean, you can sort of surmise where this is coming from, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, frustrations and issues that like Tamara has had probably with these white people, especially people that she, she sees as trying to sort of like commandeer space within mm-hmm. like within her sphere of blackness and you know i think that situations like this are often you know born from like trauma and like things that you've gone through that like have put you in a position of not feeling um so trustworthy when it comes mm-hmm. to you know these white people and seeing them almost as interlopers in a way you know within your space and also just aside from any like things racial there's also that thing when you have a friend that you're super close to whether it be like a romantic person coming into the equation or another friend and Mm -hmm. so seeing cheryl also just from that standpoint developing these relationships that she isn't a part of it also could potentially you know spell like tension Mm -hmm. um for for Tamra, you know, feeling like these people are trying to take her friend away from her. So there's multiple mm-hmm. sort of issues, I think, that are arising in these moments. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I do think, like, the way that it's written, the character of Tamra is like, you, like, there are things that she says that she's pretty mad about with, um, and a lot of them stem from these relationships with Annie and um, Cheryl's relationship with Annie and with Diana. And um, <clears throat> it's it's so understandable that it doesn't make you think that, like, Tamara is, like, being unreasonable or or like there are moments of rudeness but like you can always pick up where it comes from you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and it's like so I I think that's a really interesting just like way to write this character and I think like you you don't have any feelings of animosity towards Tamara even though she's pretty pissed off about things that like are beyond her control um you get it you know and like i i think there's a part of cheryl that is frustrated with Tamara, but also gets where she's coming from too and i think that's written really well and i think those two play play those parts um off each other really well i agree and yeah. I think that, like, one of, like, the other center relationships in the movie is this relationship between Cheryl and her soon-to-be love interest, Diana. Um, mm-hmm. And it sort of develops. Diana is a customer at the store. At first, she's low-key a little annoying. Um, Cheryl is, yes. Cheryl, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. like, why is she? Like, she gives off, like, a pompous vibe at first. She's I like. that's intention. Or, like, it's almost just, like, sort of, um, what's the word? It's, like, fussy. Or, like, yeah. 
you know, like like that kind of vibe. Like she asks Cheryl as you know an employee, she asks her you know for suggestions on like movies to rent, and mm-hmm. she has she gives her one of the suggestions, and then she sort of keeps pointing at different movies and saying, "What about this one?" Cheryl just sort of suggesting these films, and she's like, "Oh, she gives a suggestion of this movie um, called Suspicion," and she's like, "It's a little bit of a thriller. It's about a woman at home alone." And then she's like, "Oh, I, I just moved in, you know, by myself. Like, I don't want to watch that film." And then she gives her like another film suggestion, and she has another reason why she doesn't want to watch that film. Um, and so it's like three or four, and then Cheryl's like, "Okay, girl, bye. I'll figure <laughs> yeah. it out." Which is like, I was like, "Why are you being so obnoxious?" Like, she gives her like, oh, she gives her Carrie as a suggestion, and yeah. she like goes in on Sissy Spacek, Sissy Spacek, and like body shames Sp- Sissy Spacek. She's like. She says, like, something about her being, like, anorexic or something. And I was like, uh-uh, that didn't age well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're really, like... Yeah. We're body what shaming if, What if in these movies no they just went back and edited them to throw in, like, Gen Zers? Like, in, like, costumes of the times to be like, hey... As if Gen I've, Zers aren't dressing exactly like everybody in this movie. You're absolutely right. So they, they would just are. literally be like, just you know. wear their own clothes and walk Kaylee, show up on this set. Um, <laughs> and then they'll just be like, whoa. And, well, it, you know, it would fix some movies, though. It would. I would yeah. love to see, like, them go just go in on, like, Ace Ventura for, like, that transphobic moment. Oh, and be my like, God. No. <laughs> you are not going to... F- Fucking misgender her. Try again, Ace. <laughs> Not today, Satan. Uh uh-uh. uh. And, <laughs> and then watch. We're like, rewriting this whole character because this is just this whole vibe is transphobic. Cut the presses. <laughs> um, I would love that, you know, to just be like, yeah, or like, you know, Mammy's character in Gone with the Wind, like her niece shows up and she's mm-hmm. just like, Miss Scarlet, figure it the fuck out, okay? <laughs> My aunt is tired. She's not going to tell you. But I will. I, I don't know the central issue in that movie. I, I wish me, you watch I mean, it. Me neither. I just, you know, yeah. I just, I know that, you know, it's a lot of Vivian Lee writhing around and then wearing curtains at one point. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Carol Burnett. Icons only. Um, but yeah, that relationship develops. And it's like, also, there's so many things in movies from like this time period that are just like logistical that you don't really have to deal with now. And it's really funny to me. Like, because I don't think back on that kind of a thing as as far as like filling out like, like how you develop paperwork everywhere. And now you don't oh really do God, that anymore. Oh my God, I know. It's and so there's like, funny. Like Diana's like a new customer and she's got to like give her like address and all this information and like writing it down on a clipboard. And then she's like, can I take your card? And I'm like waiting for that machine that they used to use that would do I know. the duplicate copies to let you know it's official. <laughs> um, and it's just like It's like so that many... machine where you like push something over. And it's got the carbon copy card. built into it. Yes, and it you like get the carbon copy. prints yep. your credit card. Yep. And it's like, that's actually like, how do people not steal credit card numbers all the time. They like, did, Jane. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so there's like a lot of like these little things, but also like this Diana character, she couldn't be coming on to Cheryl harder yeah. than she is. Um, and I don't blame her, but I look, I get it. <laughs> but she's like really, she's really, and also by the way, Guinevere um, is very gorgeous as well. They are like, oh my god, they make a gorgeous. very hot couple. Um, they are a very very hot couple. And and like and also like they wear like the I mean obviously as Jane pointed out this style is right back because you know it's I all know. just a big it's all just a big you know circle but yeah. they wear it like Cheryl wears this style very well. Oh my god! Um, Her and, and that, it's like I'm gonna 
her in that like when she's like having that um confessional or whatever she's like filming herself talking and she's just in this like really well-fitting white long sleeve t-shirt and like great like sweatpants i'm like why are you so hot in that outfit that's annoying yeah i know drama that one's really good i really yeah. like the um i really like the the sleeveless pink button-up oh my god that she so wears cute in the store it's really cute um yeah yeah no she's really hot and so they um they they like sort of start this relationship like there's this moment too which is really great where like they're at like the farmer's market and like Cheryl bumps into Diana <laughs> and then this other person pops up who we are led to believe is her partner and like Cheryl's trying to talk to Diana and then like her friend it, she's like we need to go Diana we got things to do and yeah. Cheryl's just like standing I'm like Oh, there's a lot of really great moments that are like snapshots that like mm-hmm. we that aren't made to be any more than what they are, which feels very true to life. Absolutely. Like that's a moment that it's like we could have gotten like this really big reaction from Cheryl or she could have been really mm-hmm. hurt or whatever. But I like that she just sort of shrugs it off and it's like whatever. Well, because it's more true to life when those moments happen, you just sort of like you don't even have time to process it before they're over. You know yes. what I mean? And so oftentimes we don't react in the way we wish we had because because a, the way that oh, keeps you up late at night when you're in bed, yeah. Like, I should have said this. I should have done that. And it's like, well, we don't know how safe the space was. Yeah. We don't know, you know what I mean? Like, what the For pushback sure. would be or whatever. But, like, you, but it's definitely like a shower conversation later where you're like going over it again. And you're like, I should have called her a fucking cunt to her face. <laughs> it's like that, um, that also is true. There's a moment later on in the movie when Cheryl is out sort of getting footage and these police officers approach her and, um, well, first they mis- they misgender her. Yeah. And then they also, like, they're making, they make comments about her body um, that are really, They call her you know, a crackhead. They which, call her a crackhead. It's like it's like one disrespect. Wild. Like yeah. they're just it's egregious. And she's just sort of trying to de-escalate the situation and get through it. And then like it it looks like she's being arrested. And then the scene ends, and then we're in the next scene, and you think it's gonna be like about that, but we just move on right. to the next moment. And right. I think that that is also evidence of the ways that the movie is true to life. Like this uh-huh. is an unfortunate experience that we see that like Cheryl had to go through. And mm-hmm. it's completely And the fallout of that isn't the story. It's yes. those microaggressions of being, you know, a queer black woman existing in the world and just walking down the fucking street. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that's not the story, but it's a part. It's it's an element of something of an experience that, like, you know, I would I personally would never have to deal with. You know what I mean? It, it's very it's very that it's this, it's this whole thing of like, I've never seen you here. You don't belong here. And they also mention the fact that she's obviously a filmmaker. She has a nice camera. And they're like, right. how do you have that? Where who'd you steal it from? It's like, like it's this, mine. Yeah. Bitch. And it's like the idea of that <laughs> that it could be hers. But I thought it was another great um Example of sort of the way that this she gives us this sort of full picture of like the black female like queer experience, you know, mm-hmm. w- you know, indignities and all. And the movie does a really good job between I think 
jumping back and forth between some of those moments and then some mm-hmm. of like the sweeter moments as well that exist within her life. You know, it gives you right. sort of this whole picture of her as like a human being, which is really, yeah. really nice. Um, it's really nice and it's really, really rare for a clear, a queer black woman on film in 1996 and uh, frankly today too. But I, I think one of the things that I loved so much about this movie is that like it offers up all of these things uh, uh, this experience in a really holistic way and offers zero like bows or solutions or whatever because there aren't any it's like a film like this made in 1996 could have the exact same experiences made today and no one would bat an eyelash and it's like this is the experience and it's it's continues you know what i mean and so i love that like the way the film ends is like she doesn't even really find out that much about faye richards this Mm -hmm. um watermelon woman who she's trying to find out and the fact of the matter is is like she gives us this biography at the end and it's rather short because she couldn't find a lot of information you know what i mean it's like And, you know, she, her relationship with Diana crumbles, but we don't really know what happened other than there's like a couple of, you know, I think there's one or two scenes of them um, not, you know, vibing, (laughs) to say the least. Um, And, you know, there is no satisfying ending for this. And I, I think that was like... But it end, but it but it was an ending. You know what I mean? She's like, I've I've done everything that I can, and I think the ending was I've, you know, I have as much information about this woman as I can get, and it's unfortunately not enough, but it's what I have. And I also like I think that one of the things that I feel like sort of comes up in her. Um, that they briefly sort of touch on with Diana is this sort of um, this tension that exists around like the idea that like Diana may potentially be like fetishizing black people. Right. And like, that's something that like, I think it's never really made clear if that's the case, but it's right. I think, a concern. Um, and it's, I think born from some of Tamara's, um, like trepidation around Diana as like a romantic partner for mm-hmm. Cheryl. And um we see this relationship developing between them, but it but it seems to be a fairly short lived relationship. Um mm-hmm. it does provide us with a really intense sex scene. Um, it sure does. Very, um, very racy sapphic sex scene. Yeah. I lo- also I didn't even I never heard that word before this movie. Sapphic? Never. Are you serious? Dead serious. <gasps> wow. I looked it up. Because I oh was like... Oh my god. That's so crazy. We're not going to tell you you all what the word means by the word. We're just going to let it... <gasps> no, sorry. I'm joking. It, it's... There's like a poet or somebody named Sappho from like the... Here, let me Google it. It's I, I know she's like a, a lesbian poet. It's from, S... A A P H I C, I believe. Thank you. S A P P H I C. And let's see. Um, Yeah, relating to Sappho, her poetry or verse in a 
in a meter associated with her. So Sappho is the poet. Um, I should know this. I can't remember. I think she's Greek. Um, yeah, she's a Greek poet. Um, and she's from Lesbos, the island of Lesbos. So she's like, you know, the original lesbian. That's so funny. I can't believe you've never heard that before. No, I've never. Or if I did, I didn't clock it. But in this movie, it stood out to me when she used the word. And I immediately looked it up. Um, I was like, oh, okay. I feel like you've probably been in spaces where you've heard it and just not clocked it. Maybe that. Maybe I have. And I just didn't realize what I was hearing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this. Um, but yeah, this is a it's a it's a it's a real grown woman scene. Um, it is, it is. And I, I know, so they got an NEA grant um, to fund part of this movie, and I guess some people were in an uproar about the sex scene because they were like, oh, this is like, we're we're giving money to for people to make porn. And it's like, it's absolutely not porn. Um, it is a grown woman sex scene. Um, and... It, I mean, obviously, this is a family show, even though I think I've already said the word cunt several times you have. in this episode. We're still here for, for, the, for the families, though. Yeah, I mean, not only is it a lesbian sex scene, it's interracial lesbian sex scene. It's, you know, it, it's, uh, there's full nudity. Um, and, you know. But it's also not created for the male gaze. You know what no, I mean? No, like, it's created. Yes, exactly. It's created by the people who are engaging in things like this, which is kind of a gross way to say that. But yeah, without oh, the male gaze. Which I, Jane so and rare. I also, she's only to tell you all this, but Jane and I watch a lot of movies together. And whenever there's like this, whenever there's like an intense, like, lesbian sex scene <laughs> where you can just like there's a moment where we both are like this was made by this was made by a lesbian it, like <laughs> there's no way it wasn't when it's like yeah. when it's like a five minute sex scene and there's lots of like shoulders and back <laughs> and you can like see the, like, like this. for some reason like so much like tongue and mouth work like and there's a lot of quivering yeah. Um, and you can just tell, you know, <laughs> especially when you're dealing with like, well, I'm not going to use that word because that's, I'm not going to use it. But um, I was going to say when you're dealing with like real women and like real women's bodies, but like, real is not a word that it's means not, anything, which is why it, I wasn't going to say it. I just don't want to exactly. leave it hanging out there because then I was like, God, they probably think it's something worse than what I'm not saying. Um, but, Female identified bodies, maybe. Um, is there, I, I mean, I, what I mean is like, never mind, we're going to cut all this. But I, what, yeah. but, I um but I guess okay. what I mean is like just like it's not sort of like this Hollywood version of what like a woman should be. That's what I'm getting right. at. Okay. And so like that's what I mean when I say that. And like you get mm -hmm. to sort of like just like authentically they get to be themselves in this space and they're not trying to create this like hyper reality where like there's a man who's trying to like dictate like images of like what a woman on woman's sexual encounter should be. And it just looks different. It just does. Yeah. And like, it yeah. feels more like authentic and more true when mm -hmm. you see these types of things happening and you don't have like, you know, you know, there's not some gross dude behind the camera, like eating a sandwich from Schlotzky's and like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, more boning. 
Yeah, more screaming. The second the second you guys touch each other, I want you to act like you're having an orgasm. <laughs> the second there's skin to skin contact, I need to hear you scream. <laughs> I hate the idea of like a sex scene where somebody's literally <laughs> just screaming with reckless abandon. Um, <laughs> well, there's so much like there's it's the like it's I think. Uh, I don't know like in like porn when like women are like the second like someone touches them they're like oh god yeah and it's like it doesn't it, it, it that's can't, not how things work you can't possibly be there yet like there's no fucking way <laughs> that's like any like and this a, actually is probably what gives you know men who have sex with women a really false misunderstanding about like getting there if you know what I mean oh god I hope no. I'm gonna tell we're gonna tell my parents to skip this episode because I know it, it's like it's like men like it's like a man like having sex with a woman and then like doing what he does real quick and then getting up to go make a sandwich and coming back in the room and being like you still haven't come yet yeah. and it's like I actually did once you left the room yeah exactly. I was able to get a little I'm bit taking- of space <laughs> from you jackhammering me. <laughs> yeah, why is only time by Inya playing? Don't worry about it, Greg. <laughs> is that a muslin gown you slipped yeah. on? <laughs> uh, why are you playing the eponymous album by Tracy Chapman? <laughs> why well, because, are you, You know Greg? why, Greg? Because you have a fast car, Greg. <laughs> and I needed a ticket to get me out of here, and it... I pulled it out the, of the drawer next to the bed once you left. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's very that. And like, I always like appreciate that because I mean, mm-hmm. they really achieve like a level of intimacy, like these lesbian directors yeah. that I always think is like really wonderful because it's just like we're actually documenting like an aspect of like the human condition and we're mm-hmm. exploring like authentic pleasure and so mm-hmm. ugh, I hate how I sound right now I feel like I should be wearing I feel like we're like so, I feel like we're so like we sound so like hippy dippy I know like I need to be wearing it, something way more flowy than this and I don't know where my palazzo pants are Jane and if you and I were listening to this we would be rolling, rolling eyes at each other eyes, like, and being like ugh. oh god but that being said we're 100% right <laughs> But we are correct and we're justified. <laughs> and, um, um, you know, that's just is what it is. But yes, of course, it's like obnoxious and hippy dippy to talk about that kind of stuff. But I mean, this is that moment, you know, this is that moment when it's true and authentic and and we need more moments like this. And it's, you know, sex on screen is always sort of a taboo issue and or I mean, not like taboo now, but like it can be handled so poorly. And so it's nice to see when it is handled with authenticity and with, um, let's face it, hot people. (laughs) Jane, do you remember (laughs) that movie that we watched? It was about... I know. I I think I know. It's about like this like middle-aged woman who like has this sexual awakening. She's like, I want to say she was married. I think she was married to John Hurd, right? No, it wasn't John Hurd. Oh, I feel like it was. I, okay, maybe well, maybe I can't remember who it was, it, but she goes and sees a female sex worker and starts a relationship with her. And <laughs> talk about a sex scene, or talk about sex scenes filmed 
and directed by men between two women. We were... No, Jane, I think it's the opposite. I was think it? it no, I can't remember. Was I was like, we either scene, really... It was a lesbian sex scene that was, I kid you not, maybe 15 minutes long. <laughs> Such what is this a movie long, called? It was so long that like I, I'm not joking. I think I got up at one point and like went in the kitchen and like came back and we were like it was like where the sex scenes happen in movies where you're like with a friend and you're sort of like haha like you like kind of like oh the sex scene and maybe somebody makes like a light joke to sort of break up the tension and then you like, but like, it was like, but it was still going. So it was no funny. It's called A Perfect Ending. And it was okay. John Hurd. John Hurd played the husband. And it's a long sex scene, baby. And that director. I, uh, we have to read. Oh, my God. Yes. The director is Nicole. Nicole Kahn is the director. Okay. And, that's right. That's right. That's right. And she and took was, her time with this scene. She did. Baby. And, and remember, um, Morgan Fairchild is randomly in this movie. She sure is. She got the call and she answered. Oh my god, I forgot about this. It was like, I remembered it in my head, it was either really, like, really male gazy or really the opposite, but it was the opposite. And we were, like, looking at, like, our watches, because we were like, is this <laughs> still happening? so long. <laughs> and, and, like, it had to have been, like, that was, like, a day's work, baby. Like, that director where, like, must have I been, think like... You and Wonder I felt like we were watching somebody like in an inappropriate. At a certain way. point, we felt like we were just watching a pornographic film. I remember right. that, and we were, we were. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait, oh my god, I want to watch this movie again. If I know, guys, I want to watch it again too. I like how we just roast. This is who we are as people. If you wonder how our minds work, <laughs> we just ripped apart this movie and talked about it. It was unbearable, and then now we're both chopping the bits to find it. <laughs> okay, to our world. It's called a perfect ending. I don't know where. Oh, it's I saw on Hulu, dude. <laughs> yeah, consider it get, consider it watched. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. Back to this film. <laughs> back to this film. Um, but, yeah. What did what do, what should we talk about? What do we want to say? Well, oh, sorry. Go. No, go. Another. Um, queer famous person. You notice at the end of the movie, there's that woman playing the guitar on the street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So her beautiful name, voice. I, beautiful voice. She's a great musician, and I was like, "How do I know her? I've seen her before. I recognize her voice. Her name is." I don't know. It's Toshi Reagan. I don't know if it's Toshi or Tashi. It's T O S H I. Um. And she, I remember, like, again, bringing it all back to the L word because it was such a significant thing in my queer life. She um, was in an episode of the L word playing a song. And I remember being like, this person has such a beautiful voice. And um, apparently she has, like, opened up for Lenny Kravitz and... Um, Michelle Andiacello, I never know how to say her name, but Ani Franco and Elvis Costello. Um, so yeah, listen to her voice. It's really beautiful. She's probably on Spotify. 
I just wanted no. to like give her a little shout out. No, special no, special shout out. And I really think that like one of the points that the movie ends on that's really great is I like when she's looking for Faye towards the end of the film, she she cuz that's the whole search and she ends mm-hmm. up finding um Faye's partner whose name mm-hmm. is June. Yes. And um they set up this time to meet. She shows up at June's house. June's actually, she finds out from a neighbor that June was taken to um, the hospital the day before, but June's left a letter for her. But before I get into that, I do want to point out that another really funny moment is when the neighbor sort of like pops up as she's knocking on the door and she's got, cause the whole thing with June, they have this really sweet conversation on the phone. June's is, we can only really hear Cheryl's part of the conversation, but it's clear that June's asking her about greens and Cheryl's like, <laughs> I'll make them with Turkey in, instead mm-hmm. of like ham hocks. And so Ch- Cheryl shows up with these greens that she, I think promised June to bring with her in exchange for like information and potentially like memorabilia um, mm-hmm. about, you know, Faye. And so she shows up with it. And then, you know, the neighbor explains to her, you know, she, she told me that you were coming. She left this for you here, like a letter and I think some other stuff. And then Cheryl's like, well, I brought these greens for her, but like you should have them. And then the woman's like, um, and the woman is like, takes them from her. And then she's like, hey, you know, do you want to come in and like hang out for a moment? And Cheryl's like, no, I can't. I'm too busy. And I'm like, it's <laughs> confirmed that you aren't. Because I had the same thought. We are the same person. Okay, please. <laughs> it was just so funny to me because it was like, girl, if anybody knows that you're not busy, it's this person. She knows that you literally carved out hours upon hours to spend with June. With June. I thought the same thing. I was like, girl, you are lying to this neighbor's face and she's going to know it. It's like, it's nice you're offering some food, but you're just like, I don't want to spend time with you. I do love that though. I do love like showing up somewhere and then another person sort of being like, oh, like I know you, you know, I know you showed up here to hang out with so-and-so for 10 hours. Um, They're not available. Do you want to come in and just like sit with me for like 10 minutes? (laughs) Do you, if you knew how badly I want that to be what happens next, um, but <laughs> the way my schedule is lined up for today, the it day is, is packed. It's to meeting, the guilds. meeting, 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 all day. Meeting, um, meeting, June, meeting, meeting, meeting. Exactly. I wish I could. Oh my goodness! Call, call me rain check <laughs> because I'll be back. You know, very that. Um, but it was really funny. But then like. <laughs> But then, like, June, there's, like, this really sweet, like, the letter is basically, like, because so much of this movie, she's really fascinated by this relationship that existed between the, you know, the white um, lesbian director who directed Faye in these films. Um, She's really amazed because she's there's so much information that's been provided to her that um, makes it clear that, like, Martha and Faye had a, a romantic relationship. And that's the sort of part of what she's trying to find. And she's looking for evidence. And then, you know, at the end of this movie, June, you know, uh, the longtime love of Faye's life up until her death sort of explains to her, like, you need to stop looking for her 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 connection to this white woman like that was a painful part of her life and mm-hmm. it doesn't do anything to like shed light on how special um she was and you know how talented she was and mm-hmm. i think that you know if Faye were here like she would want you to to talk about her as a person and a whole person outside of the context of whiteness you know and to situate this white lesbian you know 
in the story of this black lesbian is mm-hmm. really just, I feel like what June is saying is it's just another form of erasure. And like, why devote time to a person who, you know, ultimately placed her in these really small parts and like, mm-hmm. didn't really do much to like, shed light on who she was as a person and make sure that the world took her in as a whole human being. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you spend time celebrating all of the amazing accomplishments and the richness of the life of the black queer woman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's not, she's not her relationship with Martha. That's something that happened and we don't have the information of that, con- the context of that information. What we have is, you know, all of these pieces of her life, some of them with Martha, some of them with June, some of them on her own, some of them, you know, um, <clears throat> I think those are the only elements. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to 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 let her be this whole person, and I think that's so beautiful, and I think, um, you know, when one of the things that is always sort of a joke within the queer community is like a lot of times when they talk historically about, you know, couples that have been together for a long time, but, you know, we're not out because of the time or, you know, whatever. They're always like, oh, you're special gal pal or whatever. And I thought it was really interesting that at the end when, um, Cheryl is telling the story, the the biography that she's collected about Faye Richards. She's saying, you know, the the last line is she met June Walker, a special friend who took care of her until the day she died. And I thought that um, special friend was sort of a nod to that, like, history, whether, you know, it's these relationships which are romantic important relationships are always sort of erased by you know referring someone to as your friend and all that kind of stuff which still happens today but I thought that was an interesting choice I I totally agree um (laughs) Jane I think I know the answer to this question but Mm -hmm. um would you watch this film again I would 100% watch this movie again. Um, And, you know, I'm disappointed that it's taken me so long to actually watch it. So, yeah, I would watch it over and over. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, As we head out, um, I was wondering, do you have a movie that you want me to watch? Um, (laughs) I do. And um, this movie has been... A request from my brother-in-law and oh. yeah and <laughs> he's texted me a few times about it and been like why haven't you done this movie yet I've asked and <laughs> and I, I haven't seen it before we both haven't seen it oh yeah so um the movie we are going to do is hold on let me just I want to make sure I'm, it's a series I want to make sure I'm choose, I'm saying the right one um, <clears throat> the movie we are going to watch next week is Before Sunrise, the classic oh. romantic comedy that, or, yeah, I guess it's a romantic comedy. I don't know if it's a comedy. I think, it, but I know it's like a oh, very romantic rom- drama, but romantic either drama. way. Yeah, okay. either way. I've never seen it before. Yeah. No. I, 
Yeah, me neither. So this is sort of bringing Top Gun energy, um, which is the first movie that we, we did where neither of us have seen it and neither of us have seen this one. So I can't guarantee it's going to be a good one, but I think a lot of people like it. So we might like it. I mean, they it. made three of them, didn't they? They made three of them. So I think I think they liked it. But I mean, let's remember a ton of people love Top Gun and you and I both hated that movie. So that was, it wasn't for us. I think this will be more up our alley, but no, I'm sure it'll be a lovely film. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. So that is what we got going for next week. All Anyways, right, cool. Well, thank you guys for listening to us talk about the Watermelon Woman. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. I know Brandon and I both did, and we hope to see you on our social media. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Movies We Missed. And of course, Twitter at MWM Chat. And we will see you next week for Before Sunrise. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 I was like, I couldn't be more hooked, Cheryl.